0: You're listening to the Dear Baseball Gods podcast. I'm Dan Blewett, and on this show, you'll learn advanced concepts in baseball explained simply. I'm here to guide you on your baseball journey and help you paddle through what's now an ocean of misinformation, guruism, and overly technical diamond babble. Welcome back to dear baseball God. So today's topic is, uh, the Olympic lifts. So if you're unfamiliar, obviously the, the power clean is, well, it's actually not technically technically an Olympic lift. It's a, it's a variation, but the Olympic lifts are the snatch and the clean and jerk. So those two are the ones you'll see again in the Olympics, you know, guys trying to throw and gals trying to throw hundreds of kilos over their head. And it's an incredibly impressive explosive lift. Uh, it, it's a fascinating thing I, I love actually watching slow motion um, clean and jerks and snatches um, on on tv like the olympic lifting is it's incredible how fast and strong and explosive these athletes are but olympic lifts get thrown into their own separate category um, and it's sort of uh it's sort of a misnomer so a lot of people think that olympic lifting is this Really important thing and that plyometrics in general, which olympic lifts are not plyometrics, but uh, These explosive type exercises and that's I think what people most associate um, Power cleans with is being explosive that they're essential to being a good athlete and in reality uh, These exercises are only essential to olympic lifters now This is what I want to impress upon you today as a, as a parent or an athlete or as a coach All these exercises that you're going to do in the weight room are exactly that they're exercises. So even though the Olympic lifts seem to have like this separate category where it's, Oh, you've got to do the Olympic lifts. You don't have to do the Olympic lifts. And here are a couple of things that me and my former business partner, some of the reasons that we didn't do Olympic lifts, um, with our athletes. Number one, if you have a younger population and they're not Olympic lifters, like they're actually not, I mean, how many kids do you have? in a school who are actually like competitively doing the olympic lifts very few so they're very technical lifts on their own they're hard to do properly they're easy to do poorly anyone can do a crappy uh power clean i mean it's not that difficult but they're really difficult to do and nuanced to do them extremely well and the olympic lifters that you see on tv you know every four years on the olympics They've been doing this. That's the, their sport, that's their sport, trying to be as efficient and powerful as possible. And, uh, it's it, like I said, it's a really fascinating and, and technical lift. Those who are really good at it, um, devote their lives to it essentially. And so it's not this thing that you can just learn an afternoon. And so in small group settings, it's very difficult to teach it. And it's very difficult to keep kids safe, especially younger athletes safe doing it. So this is a really tough teach for one or two instructors in a group of six to 10 or more to, to really have it be a safe environment because these lifts, you're throwing barbells over your head, um, elbows are getting thrown back, uh, you know, CrossFit now is, um, they're getting more and more UCL tears. I've gotten emails from CrossFitters and these are real. I've gotten emails from CrossFitters saying, Hey, I tore my UCL. I got Tommy John surgery. Uh, from lifting, can you help me you know, give me some advice with the rehab, which is crazy, but there is a a definite torque and stress that flows through your elbow when you're doing these power cleans. Because if you look at the, at the video of it, you have to have a significant amount of elbow, um, range of motion and just, it goes against it puts you in this valgus position. The valgus position is the way your elbow goes backwards. So you see that gross position when, when pitchers throw that's, uh, in the valgus position. And you get put in that position when you power clean uh when you do a clean and jerk which is the same thing um so that's a really big concern just the technicality and the potential for injury throwing barbells over your head and you moving really heavy weights explosively up and down um you know these are technical lifts and so you have to really ask yourself can i really teach kids to do this the right way and be safe about it in a small group environment whether i'm in a, in a high school weight room or, or wherever Um, and more often than not, the answer is no. And so then when the question is, okay, this is a really technical lift. It has a potential to be very dangerous. Um, can I do this with my team in a group setting? You know, and then the question is why choose this one over other exercises that can build power, that can build strength, that can build explosiveness. That are maybe not as dangerous. And that is the key question. And that is the, my key issue with the Olympic lifts. The Olympic lifts are dangerous. They're highly technical, but they're also very effective strength and power builders. Okay. So I'm not saying they're not effective because they are, um, but they're very technical and they require a lot of supervision and a lot of safety measures. So in the, in most strength and, uh, sports performance facilities, kids are going to be working out in small groups. And so really it comes down to this one question if. Your son gets injured doing a Olympic lift in a small group, and you come in and you ask the trainer, you come in and ask me, hey, Dan, my son got injured, you know, the barbell dropped on his head as he was doing the snatch. Um, Was this lift absolutely essential for him to be doing to be the best ball player he could be? And the answer is absolutely not. It's absolutely, it's a no. And that was always our test as strength coaches in our facility. Are these lifts absolutely essential for a player to get to their goals? Uh, considering the safety aspects, the technicality aspects, all these other aspects, is this the best intersection of safety and bang for the buck performance? And so that was how we always chose our exercises. And because of the way we did our business, um, and small groups and the, the age of athletes, we were more in the middle school and high school age. It was always a no, as far as choosing power cleans or these other variations of Olympic lifts. And there's not that many variations. There's the power clean. There's the, the, uh, clean and jerk is the full there's the snatch. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, variations in between to train certain portions of those Olympic lifts. But. You know, in general, there's a lot of different ways. I'm not going to go into them because it doesn't matter at this point. There's a lot of different ways to train power, to take, to train speed, to train explosiveness, to do all those things without uh the safety issues and and having to teach over and over and over and put so much time into doing this one lift correctly again learning olympic lifts properly can be a sport in itself it's not just like a three weeks and they've got it kind of thing you know it seems like that on the surface because every football program in america is doing power cleans but most of those kids are doing very crappy very poor power cleans and the power clean is not an olympic lift the power clean is a variation it's it's the first part of the of the the clean and jerk you have to clean the weight and then you have to shove it over your head and press it over to extend your arms fully so the power clean is just a half of an olympic lift and it's done poorly by most players usually just using their arms not really getting their body beneath it and so they're never really getting the full benefit out of it so i want you to think critically about all the things your kid is doing or if you're an athlete listening to this yourself all the things you're doing and why and ask yourself What's the risk reward. Another one that we didn't do was box jumps, jumping up a box only demonstrates the current jumping ability you have today. It doesn't train for you to learn to jump higher. It doesn't teach your, force your body to do that It only trains effort and shows how high you can jump and how high you can pull your knees up to get on top of a box. But the, re- the risk of doing box jumps, especially really high ones are very, very severe. We've seen kids peel the, uh, I mean, you've seen this all over the internet. This only happened one time in our gym because we didn't have kids do box jumps except one college athlete came back and he said hey they had me do box jumps at college do you guys mind if i do them here we're like okay you're an adult you know you know that's fine he and he literally missed that day and peeled like a half an inch of skin off his chin so it was disgusting not to mention just peeling you know missing the box and and hitting your shins on it but also if you just barely don't make it and you're 40 inches off the ground you fall backwards you could catch yourself on your elbow shatter your elbow your wrist hit your head on the ground there's so many risks for box jumps that again if a parent said hey you know my kid tried to do this you know challenging box jump she could barely only jump 30 inches and she tried and she missed and she fell down and she hit her head she got a concussion was that absolutely worth it the answer is of course it's absolutely not and so again, those are the questions you should be asking yourself as a coach, as a player, as a parent, when you're doing these different lifts, there are no essential lifts, absolutely. There are no essential lifts. The deadlift was something we also felt was too unsafe and required too much of our supervision and time to teach properly, where we did easier exercises, easier variations of the deadlift that were just as good and uh, much easier to learn and teach and safer. So. Uh, this is an important is important topic. I don't think Olympic lifts are like a a really hot topic today. I don't think they're really, um, I don't think this is really super controversial except maybe in the football world. And of course I know a lot of baseball players are subject to doing the football teams, uh, weightlifting program, which can be problematic. But uh, again, it it just in the vein of giving good advice to, to parents and coaches and athletes who are trying to do better and trying to learn. You just really always have to ask yourself this one question, which is, is this lift essential to my career? And there's absolutely no exercise that's ever essential to your career. It's about finding the right exercises for you and learning how to do them properly and getting stronger over time and working hard in the weight room. All right. So today's 92nd mindset is for hitters. And it's a question it's, should you swing at the first pitch? This is the thing that it really irked me, uh, being a youth baseball coach. I'd hear it all the time. I hear from my own dugout guys get really excited. Like, Hey, we got to start jumping on them. He's throwing a lot of strikes. We're falling behind. We got to jump on them and swing, you know, swing on the first pitch. And I get that. I get that attitude where if you're starting to fall behind the count, you're taking too many pitches, you should be aggressive. Sure. But for a professional hitter, someone who really understands his craft and what he's trying to do, he's never considering the count to much extent at all as far as whether he's going to swing or not all he's going to consider really is can i drive this pitch whether it's 0-0 and it's the first pitch if it's right down the middle and it's, he can drive it he should swing at it if it's three 0 and you know three knows a little bit of a different uh different count situationally but if it's three and one and that pitch is where I can drive it. Then I should absolutely swing. If it's three and two and I can drive it, I should swing. If it's two and O oh and I, sh- I can drive it, I should swing. So that should really be the only mindset for any hitter. So now, yeah, if your team is being really tentative and they're nervous, guys throwing really hard. And they're just like taking first pitch, taking, taking the second, second pitch as a coach, urging them to be more aggressive early is certainly good advice but saying like hey guys we got to start swinging the bat on that first pitch he just tossed it in there just because it's a strike doesn't mean you should swing at it just because it's on the outer third of the, of the plate and it's a called strike doesn't mean it's hittable doesn't mean you can drive it so it's never about uh really the count it's never about those types of like hey we need to be aggressive or less aggressive it should always be for a, a kid who really wants to be a professional type hitter can I drive this pitch it's yes or it's no and if it's yes swing and go get it if it's no then you should take it even if it's a strike and you can't drive it take it because chances are that pitcher is gonna make a mistake somewhere in that in that a bat and give you a pitch that you can drive and when you get that pitch again whether it's the first pitch or the last pitch or the 17th pitch you need to drive it and that's what really good hitters do you talk to someone about like Mike Trout he's not discriminating he's not taking OO fastballs just because he likes taking OO fastballs he's not driving OO fastballs just because there's nothing inherently better about a a baseball being thrown towards the plate on any given uh given count it's always the same pitch being thrown it's uh the count is just like this this environmental kind of uh trait so really your mindset should be can I drive this pitch and that is completely separate from the count. You should separate your mind from the count in that regard. That doesn't matter what the count is. If you can drive it, go get it, swing it, smash it. If you can't drive it, take it. It's not your pitch. Wait for the next one. Now, again, if it's 02 and you really need a battle and you can't strike out and you can't drive a pitch, then you need to foul it off. Right? So obviously there are some caveats to that, but it, again, this is more of the decision rather than there should never be a policy to swing on a certain count because you don't know what's coming and the pitch that's coming might not be a pitch you can drive. And so you don't wanna just say, all right, I'm gonna go up there and swing at the first pitch. And then that first pitch is on the outer third of the plate and you grounded the, sh- you grounded the shortstop because you couldn't drive it. That's not what you wanna do. So don't get into this hyper aggressive mode where you're just swinging. Uh, you're going up there assuming you're gonna swing because of the count. Make sure you see the pitch, analyze whether it's a ball or strike and whether it's a pitch you can drive or not. All right, now it's time for our listener Q&A portion of the show. Questions from the Pious. Pious means to be devoutly faithful. And if you're devout to the game of baseball, then you're exactly the kind of person I want to hear from. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, please email a voice recording to hello at danblewitt.com. Okay, our question today comes from Zach. Hey, Dan. It's Zach from Mackinac. Since you recently retired from baseball, I was wondering, do you still work out? And if you do, how do you find motivation without a season to work towards? Thank you. All right. So I'll confess, uh, Zach Zach and I know each other, uh, and he submitted this question. And I have struggled with fitness after I retired, mostly because I I ran myself into the ground while I was playing, heavily burned myself out. And uh, so it's a good question that... Number one, I always recommend for parents and athletes that they should be lifting because they want to, and they should be, uh, they should start their lifting journey. Cause once you start really doing strength and conditioning, you're not going to stop until you retire. So if you're not ready to start that journey at age 12 or 13, then you shouldn't start yet. You should start when you're really motivated as an athlete because you want to do it. And because you realize that it's necessary for you to be your best burnout is very real this whole, you know, there's like a grind it out culture where it's like no days off. And I was a player that took no days off before it was popular, to be honest. And, um, it eventually did run me into the ground that happens to everyone where they're just like, get off me, like get off me weight room, like get off me barbell. Like I just, I can't, I just, I can't with this anymore. And so that was me when I retired, I made a kind of funny YouTube video about it. Um, but it's, it is a, a genuine question about burnout and how we can avoid this as athletes because there are a lot of bitter pills we have to swallow taking care of our arms our flexibility doing rehab when we're injured uh the strength training the running there's a lot of stuff that you have to do that's not super fun and it's pretty uh, honestly downright tedious um that will again burn you out over time so you know for me today uh without speaking in generality speaking specifically to me I'm now comfortable again, going on runs like three, four days a week. Uh, but I'm still trying to get back into like the weight room and, and care about lifting again, because I don't have this prize, which was chasing, you know, my baseball, uh, dreams for so long. Like the amount of weight I lift in the weight room doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I don't have this, uh, insecurity where I have to compare my strength and my muscle size to other men. Like I know what kind of man I am. So I don't have that insecurity to drive me in the weight room either, which I know drives a lot of people. I do want to be healthy. So running, uh, makes me feel better. Like my lungs, my heart rate, my stroke volume of my heart. Those are all really positive benefits that I get from, from running. And I run like 30 minutes, like three or four times a week, sometimes a little more. Uh, I also walk probably mm, 15, 20 miles a week in the city. Um, but as far as like getting back in the weight room and getting a barbell in my hand, it's just. It's just something i hate i absolutely still hate it and i'm trying not hate it uh but it's hard and i'm also trying to fit it in to my schedule better because i i don't want to fit in because i hate it so there's not a a concrete answer uh that is uh, overall my answer but it's it's a tough thing for a lot of athletes that uh, retire their relationship with with strength and conditioning changes it changes forever and they have to find a way to To do fitness for fitness's sake not because they want to hit a ball harder and and be great but because they just need to be healthy and and look the way they want to look one of my uh childhood idols ken griffey jr i saw him for the first time a couple months ago he did an interview and he's very overweight and i just was shocked and i'm not shocked because a lot that happens to a lot of athletes because but i mean he was just like the specimen i mean such an amazing athlete and when I think of Ken Griffey Jr, I think of him in his prime. And then to see him like that, it's like, wow, like that's not, I don't know that person. And so uh, that's just a topic for another day, but it's a very real thing that athletes get burned out. And it's a very real thing when athletes are tired that their their relationship with fitness changes forever. And it can be really tough to sort that out, both from a physical and psychological standpoint. So good question, Zach, um, and probably a bigger topic for another day. Well, that's it for today's episode of Dear Baseball Gods. If you enjoy the show and would like to support me while improving your baseball IQ, buy one of my books or enroll today in an online pitching course. Sign up for any of my courses through the links in the show notes and save 20% with code BASEBALLGODS just for being a listener. My online courses walk you through pitching mechanics, strategy, learning new pitches, and mental skills training. There's start to finish an amazing solution for pitchers, parents, and coaches who want step-by-step instruction. Pitching Isn't Complicated, My First Book is a thorough pitching manual with strategy, pitch grips, mechanics, mindset, routines, and other high-level pitching concepts. Not sure what your son is in for if he falls in love with the game? Dear Baseball Gods, The Book is my memoir, a story of growing up in the game, persevering through injuries and setbacks, and struggling with identity when I finally had to clean out my locker. Buy a copy today via the links in the show notes, available in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook if you just can't get enough of my voice. Be sure to subscribe to my weekly email list where you'll get updates on all my new videos and episodes. Nearly 4,000 people get my emails, and you should too. Sign up through the link in the show notes. Lastly, who do you know who can use some good advice? Please share this podcast with a friend, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and subscribe to my YouTube channel where you'll find this podcast and hundreds of baseball instructional videos. As always, hustle and stay pious. I'm Dan Blewett and I'll see you next time.